something else. Brother Fred Warner. Getting on crepid and tell you. I just thank the good Lord for the opportunity to be here tonight. I tell you this, about Friday I would have thought, man, I'm not even going to be able to get out of bed, much less get up here and preach. Then Brother Will asked me if I'd preach on Wednesday night. I said, yes, I will. So I've just had to trust the Lord that I'd be able to get up here and do it. And, he's, and he has delivered, so I'm thankful for that. He truly has. He is, he is able. And I appreciate that. Uh, I will have to tell you one of these days, because really uh, part of my sermon tonight is... It's about your past, and, I, and, I, and some of those sins of my past have come back to haunt me, so I'll have to tell you some of those things one of these days, but uh, I do appreciate the opportunity to be here tonight and to speak to you, and I think Will, Monday or Sunday morning in particular, kind of remembered, reminded us that it's that time of year when we get in, for some reason, in a fit of optimism, we start making these New Year's resolutions, and you know, I got to looking at that, and I went back over my notes on Sunday. Will I always take notes on Sunday morning when Will preaches, and I kind of went back over those notes. And he gave us several, well, actually four things to, uh, uh, four ways to, to live for God. And when I got to look at those things, I got thinking, you know, what, what are the things that seem to hinder us from actually living for God sometimes? And that's really kind of what I want to talk to you about tonight. But anyway, uh, when I got to think about New Year's resolutions, I, I got on the internet and I thought, is how many people really do see the resolutions through. Only 8% of the people that make resolutions in the new year actually see them through the end of the year. That means 92% of us are making resolutions that we don't keep. Well, I'm going to make two this year that I promise you I'll keep. I'm going to eat more and exercise less. <laughs> so I guarantee you I can keep those resolutions. Now, that's not going to do me any good, I promise you. All it's going to do is probably put inches around my waistline. And I don't need that, I promise you. My wife's already, I'll probably have to eat a little less and exercise a little more before it's all over with. But anyway, I can meet those resolutions. But in contrast tonight, I really want to talk to you about something that I really feel like. And like Brother Will, Sunday morning, challenged us to do four things. And what were those four things? I'm going to give you a pop quiz. Do you know what those four things were? That's the very end of each sermon. Four things that we need to do to live for Christ. One of them was what? To take a stand. Number one, take a stand. We do need to take a stand. We need to take a stand for Christ. Second was build a fence. Third one was find a closet, a prayer closet. And the fourth one was uh, to strike a match, to be a fire or fire starter for, for God. Well, what are the, some of the things that I, and this, when I got to looking at my notes, I thought, you know, God, what really hinders us as Christians from really living the life that you really want us to live? Because I'm going to tell you, God wants us to have a full and rich life. Now, I, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a Joel Holstein. I don't preach like Joel Holstein. I'm not going to preach like Joel Holstein. And I think someone, one of our pastors on staff, I won't tell you which one, Brother Will, that said if we want to build a church of 20,000, and all we have to do is preach, feel good religion. But you know, we need to preach the truth. Not to say that he's not, but you know, we need to preach the truth. We need to preach about hell every once in a while. We need to preach the truth about what Scripture tells us. And, you know, Scripture tells us that God wants us to have a rich, fulfilled life here on this earth, but it doesn't mean we're not going to have problems and issues. That's not going to happen. We're just going to have those things. That's going to happen in life. That's just life in general. So really, in contrast tonight, I really want to uh, talk to you about some of the resolutions or at least commitments that I think we need to make. And I'll guarantee you, if, if you can make these commitments, it'll make a radical change in your life, in your Christian walk, in your daily walk. With Christ. In fact, uh, what I want to do is really offer you a way of starting a new year that will significantly change your life. Uh, 
And, I, and I've often wondered, why as we as Christians, why don't we want that life? Why don't we want that life? And we do want that life. But what keeps us from doing that? Sometimes I think, my goodness, Lord, you're so good to us, but yet we let some little things get in our way sometimes that we don't have that. I mean, little things that we could stop doing or even correct that would give us that life. And sometimes they're not big changes. Sometimes they are big changes, but God wants us to have that life. But we sometimes are standing in the way of that life ourselves, and most, most of the time that's the case. So here's what I want to suggest to you. I want to make four commitments this year, 2015. We're starting a new year out, and what better time to start it at the new year but make four commitments that God in his word encourages you to make that I will guarantee you if you'll do them in 2015, it will be one of the most significant events in your life. Mine as well. I'm preaching to me as well. Not just you. I'm preaching to the choir I know, but I'm preaching to myself as well. And instead of being simply about having a few days off at the first year, we've got another day coming up, Martin Luther King Day, but just simply about those things, those things about just having a few days off or something like that, if you'll follow God's advice, this new year could become literally the gateway to having a better life. And I want to challenge you to make four commitments for this new year. Here they are. You ready? Number one, commit yourself to forget your failures. You know, I, I think the devil uses our failures against us more than anything else to keep us from having the life that we want. And I think about Paul. Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. I want you to turn there with me real quick. 3, 14 and 15. And this is what Paul said. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you, if someone had a past, it was Paul, wasn't it? I mean, my goodness. He says he's the chiefest of sinners. And he persecuted Christians. I mean, he had Christians killed by his own hand. I mean, he had a past. But you know what? He realized that that past, if the devil allowed him, the devil, if the devil allowed him, he would have a past that would keep him from doing the things that God wanted him to do. And the advice from God's words, I think, has stood the test of time. More than anything else, those words have. And I said, I don't know of any more reverent or practical advice for us to start 2015. You know, God doesn't want you to live your life imprisoned by your past. I can tell you, when, when I get down, if, if, if I try to do something, no Satan rears his head and throws my past at me, you know, it can get me down faster than anything else I know of. I've done some things I'm not, I'm not pleased I've done. I'm ashamed of some things that I've done in my past. But you know what, what does 1 John 9, 9 tell us? 1 John tells us that What's he tell us? That if we confess our sins, he is just and true to forgive us. And once he's done that, it's forgotten. But you know what? The devil doesn't want us to forget those things. He tells us that he has forgiven us. And all of us has failed, I'll tell you, all of us have failed in some way or the other in our lives over the past year. We're not perfect, I promise you. I'm not, I know. And most likely, we won't see our failures recorded in history we're not going to see them plastered all over the TV like maybe a, like a congressman or a celebrity. But you know what? They're recorded in our hearts and in our minds, aren't they? We know what our failures are. And for many of us, our failures are painful memories. Uh, you know, I, I, I feel disappointed. When I let God down, I'm disappointed. If I let someone else down, I feel disappointed. And maybe for you, it's, it's a memory of how you maybe failed in a relationship. 
uh, maybe you made wrong decisions, said maybe the wrong things, and in the, in the relationship maybe was hurt or even ended. Uh, some of you are parents, and, and most of you are parents, if not most of you in here. I'm a parent, and I know that some way or another I may have failed my children in the past some way or the other, and sometimes those things bother me because I know I'm not perfect. And if I'm not careful, those things can come back to haunt me. Uh, and maybe it's a vice versa. Maybe you're a child and you've done something to a parent in the past. You know, I, my mother died when I was 24 years old. And if I could have done things differently, I promise you I'd have done things a little differently knowing that. But I didn't know that, that she was going to pass away at 24. I might have done some things a little differently. I have some regrets. But, you know, I can't, I can't worry about the past because the past is done. I can't change the past. We can't do anything about the past. So what's God's word here is really trying to tell us what we must not allow ourselves to be bogged down by our past failures. That we were not to dwell on our past so that it stops us moving forward into the future that God really has for us. God has our future planned out for us. And he wants us to meet that future. And I think the start of a new year is a good time for you to rise to that challenge. We need to rise to that challenge. And to say to yourself, I'm going to, with God's help, forget my past. And I'm going to stop torturing myself about what I did or did not do. We cannot change the past. And this new year, I say, is a good time to stop being chained to your past failures. And God is saying here in his word that it do, he doesn't want you to go through life branding yourself a failure. That's not what God wants for us. You know what? Jesus went on the cross and he died so that he could forgive. And when, he became, when we became Christians, his purpose, that forgiveness becomes a very real reality for Christians in our lives today. When we have received Christ's forgiveness, it allows us to forgive ourselves and forget our failures. So let me ask you this. Do you need to do that? Do you need to forget your past? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Right here, this evening, from this point on, do not allow Satan to rob you of your future and throwing your past in your face. Jesus' forgiveness is complete, it's done, and it's over. Forgive yourselves as well. Secondly, you need to commit yourselves to give up grudges. Man alive. That can be hard sometimes, you know what? I want you to listen to these words from the book of Colossians because if I believe in them, you'll hear the second challenge that I believe God wants you to rise to if you want to make 2015 a significant turning point for life. Listen to these words, Colossians chapter uh, thir 3, verse 13. Turn there with me if you would real quick. Here's what scripture says. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has committed or has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Now that's not a, that's not a request, that's a commandment. It says you must do. Now we need to commit ourselves to not hold grudges against others. Now listen, did you catch that challenge? Because look, God, in these words, has challenged you directly and personally 
to give up your grudges. And this is what he means when he says forgive each other whatever grievance you may have against one another. Well, what is a grudge? What is a grudge? A grudge is a very deep, ongoing resentment that we cultivate in our hearts against someone else. It's really what it amounts to. A grudge is an unforgiving spirit that leads to unforgiving attitudes and unforgiving actions. Now, I know what you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about. Everyone in here knows what I'm talking about. But harboring a grudge is like nursing a dislike for someone. What you need to know is that grudges are dangerous because, number one, they are very destructive. Grudges are very destructive. Grudges can destroy marriages. Grudges can destroy families, break up families. Grudges can ruin friendships. Grudges can even split churches. Did you know that? And let's be honest, admit it, that one of the scandals of the church today is the grudges that Christians hold one against another. That'll split a church faster than anything else. And today, if you know you are holding a grudge against someone, then God has something to say to you. Give it up. Pretty simple. Give it up. He said you must forgive. And I want to remind you that grudges are not just destructive. They're also self-destructive. Not only do they harm someone else, but they will harm you. When you hold a grudge against someone, you will hurt yourself as much or perhaps even more than you are the person that you're holding that grudge against. Several years ago, there was a, I don't know if you remember, a very tragic accident that was recorded in the media. And I don't know if you remember or not, but you remember there was a, uh, a man that was killed by a parcel bomb when a couple, uh, and then a couple the very next week committed suicide. Well, what happened was that it turned out that the couple who had sent the uh, had, had committed suicide had sent this bomb to an individual that this man of the couple had a grudge against this man that went all the way back to their school days. And what did it do? It destroyed. It literally destroyed three lives because of that one grudge. And I want to tell you something. Make no mistake about it. If you keep harboring a grudge, then it will eventually destroy you. If not physically, it will destroy you mentally and spiritually. That's what a grudge will do. It'll make you a bitter and twisted person. In fact, the book of Job in chapter 21 describes people who have no happiness at all, they will live and die with bitter hearts. Do you want that to be your epitaph? Is that what you want people really to remember you as? I don't think so. I don't want to remember that way. I don't want to be that bitter person. God doesn't want you to be that bitter person. Do you remember the parable? I think Will preached on it. I know Brother Bob preached on it a couple of weeks ago, or maybe on Wednesday night, that Jesus told about the servant who, who forgave, was forgiven a huge debt by the king. Remember that parable? I know you do, you're familiar with it, but refused to forgive someone of a great lesser, or in fact a really tiny amount compared to what he was forgiven for. Jesus said his unforgiving spirit landed him in prison. My wife likes to read Max Lucado. She, she loves Max Lucado. But he says something in one of his books, and he says this, an unforgiving servant always ends up in prison, prisons of anger, guilt, and depression. That's what a grudge will do to you. God says to you in his word, don't sentence yourself to prison. 
Do not send yourself to prison. Set yourself free. Give up those grievances. Forgive each other whatever grievances you have against one another. And according to God's word, the way to give up a grudge is to forgive a grievance. Now, let me tell you what God isn't saying. God isn't saying to ignore whatever that person did to you. Because I'm going to tell you, words or deeds can be hurtful, can't they? They can hurt. So God's not saying just ignore it. He's not asking to pretend that it didn't, pretend that it didn't happen. Uh, you know, he doesn't ask you to even condone it. He doesn't pretend that it didn't matter. Because I'm going to tell you what, what God asks you to do is to forgive the grievance. That means to acknowledge how wrong and painful what was done to you really was. And it did hurt, but what God asked you to do is to decide to forgive the person who did the wrong to you. That's really what it amounts to, is forgiveness. And I'm pretty sure in a church our size, and I hope not tonight, I'll say that, but I, I'm pretty sure in a church our size there are people who need to give up their grudges and forgive the grievance that they have against someone else. It happens every day. It happens in all kinds of relationships, and it happens in all kinds of situations. Some of you need to forgive a grievance that maybe you have against your parents, but maybe they did or did not do. Some of you need to forgive your children for the same reason. Maybe something happened in those relationships years ago. Maybe some of you need to forgive a partner for emotional or physical abuse. Again, those things happened. They were hurtful. They were harmful. But you need to choose to forgive. Maybe you need to give up a grudge that stems from an argument that you had with someone. And some of you probably need to give up on grudges you have against someone else in this congregation. It could happen. It's possible. Again, how many churches are split because of that? If you have those grudges, you need to give them up. God says that deep-seated resentment you have against that person has to go. No if, no ands, no but. It has to go. And what better time to make that difference and that difficult decision to forgive than the start of a new year. Again, think about 2015. Doing these things can change your life. And think about the year that you've got ahead of if you can do these things. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Don't tell God you can't forgive. Because really what you're telling him is you won't forgive. Because I'm going to tell you something. To be honest with you, if Christ forgave your sin, despite of the anguish and the pain of that cross for the, our sins, then surely you can forgive those others at any cost. At any cost. So the question is, will you do it? Will you do it? Here's the third one. Commit yourself to restore your relationships. Now, boy, this is hard. I'm going to tell you something. This can be difficult. It can be difficult. You know, every time I turn on my computer, computer sometimes there's this little icon that comes up, you know, do I, do I need to run, check this program or check that to make sure all my programs are kind of running correctly or if I need to update something. You know, God in his words kind of does the same thing. Now, he doesn't check see if my computer's okay. That's true, he doesn't do that. But he does want to make sure my relations are okay. My relationships are okay. My personal relationships are working properly. That's what God wants to know. And here's how God issues that challenge in Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. With everyone. Not who you pick and choose. Not who you like. It says with everyone. Now, 
I think sometimes in relationships, things go wrong in life because what other people have done to us. But you know what? Sometimes it's what we've done to others. We need to remember that. Uh, God is using this phrase to personally challenge, I think, each and every one of us to do all we can do to restore all those relationships. The Lord wants you to do everything you can do to restore any relationships that have gone wrong in your life, any and all. Some relationships, like I said, might have gone wrong in your life because of you. Some by me for others. And you know what? God also realizes that sometimes that other person may not want to restore that relationship. And that's sad if they don't. But God realized that. What did he say? Because he says he starts by if it is possible. If it's possible. But let's be honest. Like I said, some of the relationships, again, have gone bad because of what we've done to others. So when God's word says here, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He's saying that if you have caused a rift in a relationship, then you have the responsibility to do everything you can to restore it. Think about your life. How many, if any relationships in the past, if there, I don't care how far back it goes, if there's a relationship that's been hurt by you, you need to make it right. At least attempt to make it right. Everything includes the one thing we probably find most difficult to do, and for some reason I do not know, it's asking forgiveness from the people we love the most. Why is that so hard? But it seems like the people we love the most are the ones we have the hardest time approaching and ask forgiveness from. I wonder sometimes how many marriages are not as good as they could be or should be because we didn't go to that person and say, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? God says here, as far as it depends on you to live in peace with everyone, again, he's saying, if you cause that rift in a relationship, then you have the responsibility to do everything you can to make it right. And I'm certain that some of us who are married need to ask forgiveness for maybe the harsh words or maybe the cutting remarks that we've made to our spouses that have really wounded our partners in the past years. Have you said some harsh words to them that really cut? It doesn't matter if it was today, yesterday, or six years ago. They cut. And you know what? We need to ask forgiveness for those things. We need to make amends for those things. And maybe God is saying that some of you, that, is, that this change of year is, is the right time to restore the relationship that you ruined by going and sincerely saying, I'm sorry, you know, for those angry words or, or those selfish or unthoughtful actions that I've done are they hard you bet they are but you know God requires us to do those Keith Drury is a uh, a Wesleyan church uh, uh, professor also an author and he says in one of his books he touches on the whole subject of restoring relationships and talking about restitution this is what he says he says restitution deals with more than property it is also going back and making things right for hurtful things I've said or done. It's far easier for me to tell you some story than to tell you of the difficult and painful times I've had to ask my wife, my boys, my boss, friends, or even my secretary to forgive me. Restitution is asking forgiveness for harsh words, quick tongue, or cutting remarks. It is asking forgiveness from a brother you hurt 
or a mother you cause heartache to, or a former spouse which you malign. Restitution is confessing and seeking forgiveness from an old business partner, a neighbor, or a roommate. It's admitting my past errors in relationships and humbly seeking forgiveness from the one I've hurt. And it's harder to make personal restitution than property restitution. Amen to that. It is. It's hard. And make no mistake, it'll be hard. It'll be hard to do. But one of the most significant things that you can do to mark the new year is to admit your past errors in relationships and humbly seek forgiveness from the one you can hurt, you've hurt. Think about those. Just those three things alone. How much better would your year be? Is it hard to do? You bet. It's difficult. But my goodness, God wants you to have this life, and that's what he asks of you to do, to make sure you make these, these changes in your life, to have that life, and to have that off your chest. How guilty. You know how you feel when you're guilty? You feel miserable. I do. I feel absolutely miserable when I feel guilty. To have that guilt lifted and forgiven, wow. So would you rise to that challenge and make commitment to restore your broken relationships this new year? Last one. Commit yourself to turn your back on your transgressions. In a book about the American War I read several years ago, I think one of the most interesting things that, that I discovered that was that uh, after the war was over and the slaves had uh, been set free, many of the slaves literally decided to stay with their former master and continue to do what they were told. You know, they were set free, but they chose to live as slaves. Set free, but chose to live as slaves. The New Testament says that's exactly how many Christians choose to live in Romans 6, 2. You know, Christ died to set them free. The Holy Spirit has given them the power to be free. But just like those former slaves, they still obey their old master. Romans 6 2 says this Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its lustful desires. We are no longer slaves to sin. And that's really the last challenge that I believe, if, if you will rise to meet, will make this new year truly significant for you. I think it'll make a world of difference. When God says, Do not let sin control the way you live, do not give in to its lustful desires. He is literally issuing a challenge to turn your back on your transgressions. Literally, turn your back on I've got a photo, a photocopier or a copy machine or whatever you call them. I'm not, what do you call them, Dean? A copier, printer at my house. Every once in a while I get this error code on there. Well, I'll call this engineer. They call the 1-800 line and get the information I need. And that guy came back one day. He told me, he said, you know, he looked and he said, well, that's the same old fault. He said, this, this particular model... It's bad about doing this. You know, it, it happens time and time again. Well, that's the principle that's really true here, too, in the spiritual world as well as it is in this electronic world. You know, Christian writers used to talk about something called besetting sins. A lot of times we refer to them as our pet sins, but our besetting sins. And what they meant by besetting sins were particular sin that a particular Christian was prone to doing time and time and time again. For most of us, when we are saved, we can give up a lot of the sins in our past. We can give those things up. But sometimes there's that certain sin that we really have a battle with, that besetting sin. 
And these sins, like I said, many of us end up choosing to give into our besetting sins and end up living somewhat of a double life. And I'm going to tell you, that's harmful to you, very harmful. There's a magazine out that's called the Leadership Journal. And several years ago, there was an article about an anonymous pastor that, decided, that described his battle with his besetting sin, pornography. And how he gamed in time and time again and then was literally overcome with guilt. And maybe that's how you lived over this past year. Constantly defeated by the same old sin. There was a man that had a huge growth on his neck and was about to get married. He had the choice to do something about that. I mean, it was hideous. He could have done something about it, but he, he chose not to. You know, he wouldn't do anything about it because he just learned to live with it. And that kind of sums up, I think, too many Christians' attitude to their besetting sin. Uh, you know, they don't want to do anything about it. They just learn to live with it. So I have to ask you, is your spiritual life crippled because you have learned to live with a besetting sin? And it doesn't have to be a sexual sin. It could be a lot of other things. Do you have a quick temper that you constantly and quickly give in to? Or a caustic tongue that loves to assassinate other people's characters or wound their feelings? Just being rash, rude. Have you learned to live with that critical judgment, that mental attitude you know is wrong? Maybe there is sexual sin that you keep giving into. But God here in his world challenges you to turn your back on that sin, whatever it is. To stop letting it control you and the way you live. To literally stop giving into it. Because you know what? God wants you to stop obeying your old master's sin. That's what God wants. Let me, say, let me be clear about this. Jesus' death, Christ's death, broke the power of sin. It broke the power of sin. The Holy Spirit can give us the power to resist sin. And all of that means that you don't have to go into this new year still being defeated by the same old sin. Jesus broke the power of sin. You can have victory over it. You really can. And God says you are no longer a slave to sin, so don't Live like it and don't act like it. Live that life of freedom that God has given you. And if you'll ask, if you'll ask for God's forgiveness for your sin and the power to resist that sin, then this year, I'm going to tell you something. This year can be for you not just a new era, but it can literally be a new era in your spiritual life. So don't miss that opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity to live the life that God wants you to live. And really it all boils down to this, I think more than anything else. Will this new year just be a calendar-changing event? Or are you willing to rise to the challenges at God's word and make these commitments so that you can make this life-changing event? Live the life that God wants you to live. You know, are you willing? Are you willing to commit yourself to forget your failures? Are you willing to commit yourself to give up your grudges? Are you willing to commit yourself to restore your relationships? And are you willing to commit yourself to turning your back on your transgressions? Have the courage to do that. And it will take some courage, I promise you, to do those things. Have the courage here tonight to do that, uh, to forgive yourself, forget your past. 
have the courage to forgive others who have hurt you and forgive whatever, and ask forgiveness for whatever grievance you have done. And also to ask forgiveness for those who have hurt. And as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And lastly, have the courage to ask for God's forgiveness and no longer be that slave to sin. And I guarantee you those four things that Will gave us on Sunday morning, if we'll do these things, we can accomplish those four. We can accomplish those four. Thank you. Amen. What a great message. Amen.